gosh folks it's me it's me it's mr sensational gino v gino vega attempting attempting to come to you with very special episode 57 of the mr sensational gino vega podcast on the ic robots radio network and Folks, I'm not even going to try to tell this story again because I've told it so many times now that I probably have like three episodes worth of lost episodes out there in the digital abyss. But last week, starting last week, I was beset with all kinds of technical problems as I sit here in the sensational recording complex attempting to get you, the tens of ones, more phenomenal Gino Vegan audio content. I was beset with problems involving my recording program crashing every time I tried to save, thereby losing hours of work. I was beset by when saving would work properly, um, horrible static appearing on my vocal tracks to the point so much static that I could not, in good conscience, release any of that content under the the exacting quality control standards we have here in the Vegaverse. So between those two problems, I attempted to record episode 57 five times last week. And after time number five, you see, with an improvisational show such as this one, when you take when you do that first take, there's always the possibility of a golden take, at least golden bite. Gino Vegan standards, let's put it that way. Once you have to go back and try to recreate what you improvised a second time, now the best you can possibly hope for is that that elusive silver take. And then once you've circled back and you're trying for a third time, maybe you can eke out a bronze take. And after that third time, there's nothing after bronze, right? You're left with a gradation of crap takes moving forward. And once I get to take five, look, I know there's lots of social pressure, lots of of cultural chatter out there that that the the best the best type of person that there can be, the best we can hope from from our human existence is to be this person that that just continues to get up once they're knocked down and it just doggedly perseveres their way to becoming president of the United States or CEO of a multinational corporation or or an astronaut or some amazing lofty thing like that. Although when you think of some of the people that are, that are uh, presidents and CEOs and so forth, I I think it's more just kind of like dogged stupidity and lack of self-awareness where they just kind of bludgeon their way there. (laughs) But in any case, we, we, we culturally prize this supposed idea of never giving up, never quitting. Well, I will tell you this. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega marches to the beat of, of, of a different drum, as the cliche goes. He's a loner dotty, a rebel. And Mr. Sensational Gino likes to enjoy life, likes to have a nice, calm, measured life among his uh, meager things that bring him happiness, among the people in his life that bring him happiness. So when something becomes so trying, so irritating, so aggravating, 
I need to give myself a little space. And so I had to punt episode 57 to this week. I don't, I don't enjoy doing that. I would love to, to, to chat with the tens of ones on a weekly basis. But, you know, once the, once the, once the concussive blows are starting to noticeably cause CTE, noticeably cause brain damage, once you're to that fifth take, it just seemed prudent to um, live to fight another day, which I guess is another term of, of go-get-emness, of, of championshipness, right? I mean, sometimes you gotta, you gotta live to fight another day. So that's what I'm doing here today. Today started off, though, with more crashing, more static. The static I figured out, um, I finally just realized it was time to use a different cord for the microphone, for the old blue snowball, the orange blue snowball microphone. That seems to be doing the trick. The crashing, I'm on pins and needles here because it's it's touch, touch and go. I'm on like the third take so far today, and I think I've got it under control, and I'm kind of stopping frequently to try saving. So even if it does crash, I have what I saved last, but we'll see. In fact, I'm going to really quickly here cross my fingers and, and do a little save check. I'm, I'm going to pause for one moment and let's see if we come back. And uh, hey, oh, 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 hey, we are back. So um, we've made it through five minutes so far. Uh, I'm going to pray to the podcast gods that this continues, that I can actually get to you. Very special episode 57, much anticipated by the tens of ones. Episode 57, two weeks and untold takes episode 57. So getting down to brass tacks, what are we going to talk about today on episode 57? Well, I'm going to start off talking about something that I talked about at great length last week, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to try to revisit it because I think it, it, it's still still as pertinent as anything spoken about on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vago podcast can possibly be pertinent. Let me just take a real quick break aside for some bizarre reason, you're either new to this show or listening in a vacuum, which I, I find very hard to believe on either case. But just to throw it out there, this is the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, a podcast where we sensationalize the everyday. I, I go delve deep into the guts, into the innards, much like we'll soon be digging deep into those those pumpkin innards to just pull out those seedy, stringy pumpkin guts to create a jack-o'-lantern. So too do I dig into the existential inners of my soul to dig out those mundane strands of my ordinary average life that um, and examine that filament to look for those bits and specks that I can turn into some sort of content to share with you, the listener. So basically, we are a show about an average schmo sitting in his living room talking about what he's been up to lately. Um, and we come to you by way of the IC Robots Radio Network, a podcast network that um, offers up this show as well as our flagship show, the world's famous IC Robots show hosted by the big boss of our show, IC Robots himself, um, as well as GeekFest Rants. So go over to um, your preferred podcasting platform, look up IC Robots Radio and click like, subscribe, etc. And we will be together forever or until you unsubscribe, I guess. Anyway, where were we? Okay, so what I've been up to lately. So I've been having a hard time coming up with content for the show for a while because I wasn't really doing much. I didn't have a lot going on in the day-to-day -day other than doing chores around the house. And I guess every now and again, a story will come down the pike regarding chores around the house, but I don't know. So I, I, honestly, I felt like I've been floundering lately, grabbing at straws. I'm already grabbing at straws to, to come up with content for this show, so I was grabbing at like less than straws. I was grabbing at toothpicks um, to try to come up with content, but about two weeks ago, I guess it was now, um, I went to an event. 
And when I really stop and think about it, I believe this was the first kind of relatively large-scale public event I have attended since the COVID-19 uh, pandemic began. I could be wrong, but I can't think of anything else I would have gone to. But here's the thing. So I, I was thinking about this. I was already going to talk about this event last week. But then at the time that's passed, I listened to the most recent, as of the time that I'm recording this episode, of the world's famous Icy Robots show. It was the episode where he opened up some Ghostbuster 2 cards. But on that episode, which I think dropped, I'm recording this on a Tuesday. The show will probably release tomorrow on a Wednesday. His show that I'm referencing came out last Monday, but you can still listen to it now on the IC Robots radio network. Um, he, IC Robots, uh, talked about going to a uh, comic book show, comic book sale, uh, not, not a full-scale convention, but a place where lots of comic books were being sold, um, in Berkeley, California. And then he had some attendant visits and adventures in the Berkeley area while he was there. But in any case, he was talking about going to it, and he was talking about how, I believe, if I remember correctly, that it, for him, too, that was, if not one of the first kind of larger-scale public outing he'd had since COVID-19. I could be wrong. I, I can't remember exactly, but but in any case, no matter what, first, third, fourth, it's we're still... For those of us that lived in areas where, where large-scale things were not really a thing for a year or more, um, it, it's impossible to not be going to stuff and have it be relatively new again. The thing that's strange for me, though, is I'm just not an event guy in general. I rarely, rarely attend larger public events. I uh, When I go out, when I socialize... Um, my socializing is like I'll go down to the local cigar bar and hang out for a while. So it's like you know you're 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 socializing with people, but you're socializing with maybe like five to ten people. You know, it's not like a big crowd, which I guess is is weird in its own way because it involves more direct contact with other people. Um, but at the same time, there's only a small group of them. You're not. It's it's different than navigating a large crowd. I, However, when you navigate the large crowd, you're probably not really interacting with people. In any case, when Icy Robots described going to the comic book sale, um, he mentioned feeling like a little bit off while he was there because you just, you know, it's relearning how to navigate the public event space. And when he said that, it suddenly occurred to me, I hadn't really thought when I was at this event that I attended um, that I hadn't been to one for a long time. But when he said that, I kind of thought back. I was like, yeah, that was sort of weird. But then again, it's always weird when I go to stuff because I go so infrequently. So what did I go to? What I went to was um, I went to a pro wrestling show in South San Francisco, California. And I went down to this show um, with my friend Jerry, who... I don't often attend pro wrestling shows, but when I do, I usually go with Jerry. Um, and Jerry, for those of you who are familiar with the Santa Rosa area, you may know Jerry from 
time at Sawyer's News working there, his time, probably more likely his time at the last record store where he worked after Sawyer's News for many, many years. And now he's one of the owners of the new incarnation of the record store in Santa Rosa, which is now the next record store. But anyway, we went down to this show in South San Francisco and South San Francisco is this really strange city that's like this. I've talked about it on the show before my hatred of, of the city of San Francisco. Um, not, not the government entity, the city of San Francisco, but the actual place, the city of San Francisco. Uh, because of all the major American cities that I've visited, it's just, it's so, it, the way San Francisco is now, when you go out in public, things are either tech billionaire or homeless person dying on the street. There, there, there's no diversity in, in types of people. And I don't mean racial diversity. I just mean like you're either in San Francisco because you're filthy rich and doing tech business or you're in San Francisco because you are like totally destitute and shooting up on the street. There's not a lot of lanes in between, so there's not a lot of interesting things happening there. Um, case in point, when I, when Jerry and I have often gone to the San Francisco area to attend wrestling shows, we want to like go out and like get something to eat, get a drink afterwards. There's nothing there because everything closes in San Francisco because the, the only stuff that's open is to cater to the people that are working there downtown during the week, and then everything kind of dies out and and yeah, you can find the loan thing here and there, but it's always some super high maintenance, precious affair. Anyway, so San Francisco, in a way, is kind of like this ghost town. It doesn't have the soul that you find in a real big city where there's all kinds of stuff going on. And no matter what your predilection is, what your type of person you are, you can find your lane to be in. San Francisco, there's just a lot of empty lanes. South San Francisco is like a ghost echo of a ghost town. Because South San Francisco is like the, yeah, it's, it's kind of almost San Francisco, but it's not. So it's really just like housing and I don't really know what what else goes there, but you go there and it's, it's first, strangely, there's no parking to speak of, but then there's nothing going on. There's like a few taquerias, like we ended up going to a taqueria, but there's not, it's, it's just a very dead feeling place, at least to me. Maybe I'm out on a limb, out to lunch. I, I find South, I find San Francisco and it's Southern kind of appendages. South San Francisco is a separate city. It's not just the south part of San Francisco. But the, the southern appendages include South San Francisco, Daly City, places like that. Just if you be a very cold, empty place. And I'm sure it's a warm, heartfelt place for people that are from there, that live there, that have stakes there. But just as a visitor, does not do it for me. And I have visited many major American cities and appreciated many major American cities. San Francisco is not one of them. Anyhow, South San Francisco, uh, we headed down to this event because over the last five, six years, Jerry and I have attended a small handful of wrestling events. And it's usually because there will be these random, um, random independent wrestling shows being put on, usually in the South San Francisco area, either South San Francisco, Daly City, something like that. Um, and the ones that we have ended up attending are these ones where it's a typical indie wrestling show with a lot of local schmoes performing, maybe a couple of uh, nationally known people. But then every so often there's this, the, there's a random show like this where the headline act is um, someone that years ago you would have thought you'd never be able to see, particularly at a, at a venue or sm these small random ind independent shows. Someone um, 
from like a wrestling star from either Japan or Mexico. We've primarily gone to ones that feature uh, Japanese wrestlers. But for instance, there's a legendary Japanese wrestler, Jushin Thunder Liger. Huge star. He was a huge star in Japan. He wrestled in WCW. Uh, anyone that is, is at all adjacent to wrestling, you've probably at least seen an image of him. He's that Japanese wrestler guy with the kind of Power Ranger-y helmet with horns on it. I don't know. Um, he was based on, he was, the character was originally based off of an anime character. So he's got this anime superhero look, but he was an innovator and kind of smaller size, flippy junior style, uh, junior heavyweight style professional wrestling. Um, he ended up headlining a show at a gym, high school gym in actually San Francisco proper. So like we went to see Jushin Thunder Liger at a San Francisco indie wrestling show. Another legendary wrestler, Jun Akiyama. He wrestled for Pro Wrestling Noah. He's not quite as famous as uh, Mitsuharu Misawa or Kenta Kobashi, the two real pillars of Pro Wrestling Noah, which was a huge Japanese wrestling company in the uh, early 2000s. Um, but he was kind of like, if those guys were like the top pillars, he was right below that, and he's still wrestling. The other two are not. He made his U.S. debut, wrestled for the first time in the United States randomly at this gym, in uh, that same gym, not the same show, but same gym in uh, San Francisco in the Mission District. So we go to shows like that because it's just weird that you get to see these guys and you get to see them with like 200 other people and they're just right there up in your face. And it's kind of fun because um, uh, both Jerry and I are at times, have been or whatever, fans of the the Japanese iteration of uh, professional wrestling. And just a quick aside, um, sometimes I've gotten people... When I say that I like Japanese professional wrestling, it's only because I like that particular style of how professional wrestling is presented. It's much more of a fake MMA style. It's like two, two guys or gals um, having a combat sports fight, um, usually for a, for a title, or if it's an issue, it's because it's like a competitive sports issue. It's not like some weird supernatural storyline or like, you know, some soap opera storyline. It's more just like a, a sports drama, the way uh, the Japanese style is presented. So it's not, people get weird sometimes. It's like, oh, you're being try hard. You want to like it just because it's from Japan. I, I would like it if it was from freaking Toledo, Ohio. Um, and I do like, I, I just like that style of wrestling, the, the fake combat sports, the fake MMA pro wrestling. And it does show up in different places, but it shows up very consistently in Japanese wrestling. Of course, the wrestling is always a mishmash. There's always all kinds of stuff going on, but that's kind of the predominant style, especially like when I mentioned like pro wrestling Noah, it was basically like fake MMA. Um, but where was I? Oh, so I was explaining why we went to this last event in particular. So much like these other events where we got to see these huge stars, you know, waning stars towards the end of their career, but still big stars nonetheless, but not when they're so old that it's like going to see some senior citizen wrestle. Big stars in a weird small venue that you would never expect to have seen them like five or 10 years ago. Um, for whatever reason, there's just a lot more of, of, of this thing happening now where there's some kind of connection where uh, Japanese stars are showing up at random small indie shows. But wrestling's become kind of just like globalized, internationalized. Outside of WWE, where they're still very insular and do their own thing, everyone else in wrestling kind of at this point has sort of come together where all these styles are colliding and you're seeing all kinds of weird matchups and working agreements between companies that you wouldn't have expected again five to ten years ago. Um, so this event that we attended a few Fridays ago was at a bizarre banquet hall upstairs in a building in South San Francisco. And it was a show, speaking of fake MMA and real MMA, headlined by probably, if I had to pick, 
my favorite professional wrestler of all time, not necessarily my favorite one right now in this time and space, but just all time, my all time favorite professional wrestler, Minoru Suzuki. Now, Minoru Suzuki, he started off in kind of the early, he started off with what they call shoot style wrestling in Japan, which was still quote unquote fake, you know, predetermined professional wrestling, but it was before MMA existed in kind of the UFC format that we know now, but it was professional wrestling that was trying to emulate that style, trying to be like showing two guys not doing like running the ropes and jumping off the top rope, but doing more kind of like realistic looking um, submission holds, kicks, stuff like that. He started off wrestling in that style. And then he actually started off fighting in what was one of the earliest professional wrestling organizations, an organization that still exists to this day, Pancrase. Pancrase Hybrid Wrestling. It was um, where uh, Ken Shamrock came from Pancrase. Um, who else fought in Pancrase? Boss Rutten, if you're familiar with him, fought in Pancrase. Uh, Minoru Suzuki, of course, fought in Pancrase. Um, Masakatsu Funaki, um, founder of Pancrase, another he also has... Uh, a luminary in Japanese pro wrestling. Um, but anyway, so Minoru Suzuki is this like, he's 50 years old now, can still go, still in physically great shape, but he's also got this great character where he's this kind of like mean and nasty guy with weird hair. Google him if you haven't ever seen him before. He's had some exposure on US television because I believe, and in fact, I know for a fact, he's been on um, AEW, All Elite Wrestling, on uh, TNT and TBS. Uh, Lately, he's been doing some uh, shots on AEW, but part of that is he's in the United States right now, so he was doing this tour of weird indie shows, and this was one of those shows. He was the headlining act. There was no way I could really, in good conscience, not go see him because this guy has been one of my favorites, if not my favorite, since uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and here was a chance to see him up close and personal, But I didn't realize just how up close and personal it would be. So just to paint a picture of what indie wrestling shows are like, independent wrestling shows, meaning a show just put on by some random Jane or Joe Schmo and their crew of Schmo friends um, versus a show put on by like a professional uh, wrestling promotion with, you know, with lots of money behind it, blah, blah. These, These shows take place in random you know, boys and girls clubs, uh, rec centers. Like I said, this one was like a, w- a weird wedding banquet hall um, with like tropical images painted up at the top of the uh, walls uh, and just really like dated looking inside. The typical, that quintessential indie wrestling venue. Um, so yeah, some kind of gamer nerdy folks uh, run the show. And they're usually affiliated with some local wrestling school. So there's usually some guy that that thinks he's like a big time wrestling promoter in there, but he's just a dork putting on a show for a couple hundred people. And then the people that attend these shows are usually like the nerdiest of the nerdy wrestling nerds. Cause you have to be pretty plugged into wrestling to know these shows are happening near you. So it appeals to the, to like the most comic book guy, um, as it were, um, wrestling type fans. If you ever want to feel like the coolest dude in the room, just head on down to your local indie show. <laughs> Not that I think I'm a cool dude or anything, but I'm just just saying, just saying. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's a show with a bunch of dorks sitting in folding chairs, and I, I again, I'm one of these dorks going to these shows. I'm not really trying to put on airs here. Um, and 
there's a really iffy wrestling ring set up in the center of the room. And usually in this room, there's like some dopey chandeliers hanging down. You're worried that like wrestlers are going to do a flip and hit themselves in the head. And which was scary at this venue. It kept looking like that was going to happen at several matches. Um, and usually you're lucky if there's any kind of concessions at these shows. Cause again, these are just some person renting out a hall. It's not like a, a, a sports venue, you know, where there's a concession stand. So like at this one, they were making tacos for instance, cause there was a commercial kitchen at this place. Um, if you're someone that likes to enjoy a few cold ones, you are S O L as Jerry and I have, uh, learned the hard way over the last few years. Cause we both would prefer to, uh, you know, just have a few beverages, uh, before, the event because like it's just like going to a sports you know a ball game or something you want to have a beer or two just because you're bothering to get out of the house it just kind of adds to the to the fun and frivolity of the evening so uh because we anticipated the lack of beverages we actually um went over to this taqueria across the street before the show started and just ordered like four coronas we were wondering like are they gonna be weirded out that we were not ordering food but they didn't care and we just ordered four coronas and just drank them at a table upstairs. And humorously, there was a table of these other two geeks uh, with a bunch of empty bottles of Corona. And they were obviously also there for the wrestling show. And they were kind of sizing us up. And we were sizing them up. And when they left, they had one Corona that they had bought but didn't drink. And they were like, would you like this extra Corona? And we're like, sure. And so we split the extra Corona and then also went to the show right on their heels. Um Another interesting thing about this particular show, which was new, I have not seen this at an indie show before. When we first got there and we were trying to figure out where it was, I saw a police car park at a gas station down on the corner and then a total T2 police officer. You know, the the police from Terminator 2? I can't remember what that thing was called. But uh, this officer that, that greatly resembled the T2 guy striding down the street and entering the venue. And I thought maybe he was there to see why people were congregating, but it turns out for whatever reason he was there. I don't know if he was there in like official South San Francisco police capacity, or if this was like some off the books security gig, but he was there in his police regalia for the entire show because, you know, this crowd definitely needed an armed officer because, Oh, let me tell you, it was right no, just It was a bunch of dorks. So uh, he was just kind of standing there looking perplexed for hours. I, the whole time I was wondering, I wonder what that guy thinks about this. Because like, just to think, just coming in cold off the street to an indie wrestling show, what one must think. Because it, it, I feel like it would make little to no sense to an outside observer. Because wrestling's already weird enough, but then like, why are these people watching, when they could be watching WWE or something, why are they watching weird wrestling in a broken ring in a banquet hall with 200 other people it's very strange, but yet here we were to see the legend Minoru Suzuki. Um, so a few other things of note at that show, and uh, they kind of coincide with like themes from indie wrestling shows in general. But again, because of the nature of these shows, it's like, it'd be like going to see an arena rock band, but they're doing a show, you know, in a local warehouse or something. So particularly when like actual star wrestlers perform at these indie shows. Um, because when you see them in their capacity as, uh, as stars, like if you were to go to an AEW show in a basketball, sold out basketball arena and Minoru Suzuki was on the show, you would have no access to him. You know, he would be off in some dressing room area that the average fan had no access to. But at these indie shows in these small little halls, we're all just in the same room together. So there's no separation between star, between attraction and fan where you're all kind of in there together. 
So you see a lot of weird things at indie wrestling shows when it comes to people that you're used to seeing on TV or you're used to thinking of as stars. Like, it's not weird to see the local indie geeks that are performing on the show walking around, milling around in the crowd, but it is a little, it's always a little, oh, wow, when you see someone that you recognize from television also kind of there. So at this show, it was funny because we got there a little late due to drinking the Coronas, and the show had already started and all the seats were taken. So we had to kind of stand off over to the side, but it ended up, uh, it was like the perfect place because we're standing over to the side, just had this diagonal look directly at the ring with no one in front of us. And so, yeah, we had to stand, but hey, I got my stand credits for the day. So, what? I mean, that's all. It's win-win. Um, but as we were standing there, because we were standing, we're standing in front of this lane where if you were to go get tacos, for instance, or you're going to go to the bathroom, you had to walk past our lane to get there and then past it again to get back to both either the ring or to the quote-unquote backstage area. So at one point, I noticed it was really funny. There was a uh, Japanese wrestler on the show, Yuya Uemura. I, I probably just uh, slaughtered that name, Yuya Uemura, um, and he's what he—he's a rookie for New Japan Pro Wrestling, the, the Japanese company that Minoru Suzuki is most closely aligned with. So that, I think that's why he was on the show. Because the point of these shows is they send rookie wrestlers out to these podunk shows to get experience wrestling in different kinds of environments, different kinds of places, and then in a lot of cases, star wrestlers. Like when uh, Jushin Thunder Liger was wrestling um, in San Francisco or when uh, uh, Jun Akiyama was wrestling in San Francisco. Part of that, too, is they are sometimes scouting for indie, res- indie wrestling talent around the country that they can then sign to come work at their home promotion back in Japan or work on U.S. shows that their Japanese company comes to do here. So there, there's a reason why this is happening. Um, but in the Japanese wrestling culture, the rookies also sometimes referred to as young boys in New Japan Pro Wrestling, known as young lions. Part of being a rookie wrestler is you're a scrub, so you're always on the curtain jerker match of the card. You always lose. But then you also have to do like menial tasks. You have to help set up the ring. You have to help carry veteran wrestlers' bags. It's all part of the learning process. So Yuya Uemura was there, and I kept seeing him do taco runs. He kept going to the concession stand. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. This big buff dude in like spandex shorts and, and a New Japan t-shirt. I was like, oh, that's Uemura. But I realized, I, I think the veterans in the back kept sending him out to get tacos because he did like three or four taco runs. And it, it was it, that, that was just kind of endearing and kind of funny. Another funny thing that happened is uh, where we were standing, um, there was this kind of old guy chanting the whole time, being really excited about the show. And he was with like, three women that were kind of either between like my age, which is like mid forties and maybe like late twenties, early thirties, like three women that kind of ran that age spectrum. And they were all really fired up about this show. And it's like, huh? Okay. But there was this one wrestler on the show named Starboy Charlie and Starboy Charlie is kind of an up and coming indie wrestling star. Starboy Charlie is like the exact type of wrestler that I'm not a fan of, and it has nothing to do with how he performs. It's just not my type. His whole gimmick is he's this little skinny, muscly kid, star boy, who does lots of flips. So he's this little, he looks like a kid. He gets beat up. I guess you're supposed to feel sympathy for him. And then you're supposed to be excited if he perseveres and wins, which I get. That's a tried and true old time American wrestling formula. It's not one that I've ever been that excited in myself. Uh, excited for myself. I, I'm less about like the, the what they, they call that the baby face in peril. I, I just like more seeing the two mean dudes like kick the uh, crap out of each other. But some people really get into the, the baby face in peril. And so um, 
Starboy Charlie had a match. The old guy was freaking out. The women were freaking out. I noticed one of the women had a Starboy medallion. I was like, that's weird that these people are Starboy super fans. Meanwhile, I was kind of bad-mouthing Jerry. It's like, I don't really, I don't really feel these little kid-looking wrestlers. You know, I just see grown men and women fight to the death. Um, but then after Star- Starboy Charlie had his match, shortly after he emerged with a uh, one of those rolling travel suitcases, and he looked like he was in a hurry because I think he had a booking in L.A. the next day. But um, he went directly to the old guy and to the women, and they were all hugging him. And I realized it was his dad and his sisters who were there to see him perform. So then I felt sort of bad hating on Starboy Charlie, and I felt sort of happy that like his, uh, his family was so uh, supportive of his pro-wrestling dreams. Uh, last thing like that that I saw at the show that was funny was um, uh, this one guy was supposed to be in the second to last match, this fellow named Clark Connors, who wrestles for American guy, but he wrestles for the American branch of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And all of a sudden, the match before the second to last match is like been going on. It seems like it's been going on for too long. And all of a sudden, I see Clark Connors like just like booking in street clothes backstage. You could tell he like just showed up. And then finally, like a minute later, that match had been going on for too long, ended. And then his match started. So it's kind of funny. He was late for the show. Um, in any case, the time finally came to see the great Minoru Suzuki. And I had mixed feelings about the whole night and about seeing him. But I'll get to that in, in the finale here. I'll just say the match, though. Seeing him, it was great because when Jerry and I have gone to see other legends in the past, they're definitely there in legend mode. And what I mean by that is they are there for you to see them and be excited that you saw them and that's it and that's all. They're not going to be killing themselves in the ring. They're usually in some like 10-man tag team match, so they barely actually have to be active in the match. It's really just the novelty of seeing them. That's how it was with Liger. That's how it was with Jun Akiyama. I forgot on that Jun Akiyama show. Also, he was there with the legends Ultimo Dragon and Tajiri, who are both famous wrestlers in their own right. And none of those guys really did anything. It was just like, oh, hey, yeah, Ultimo Dragon, Tajiri, and Junakiyama. I got to see you guys. But they didn't do anything. Most of those guys, too, are kind of shot. They're not really, uh, well, Akiyama's still good. But in any case, they weren't, gonna, they, they weren't trying to set the world on fire with their actual in-ring performance. Now, Minoru Suzuki, with this guy named Daniel Garcia, who's an up-and-coming American wrestler, they had a full-blown match that could have been on any major wrestling pay-per-view. Like they, he just, they did a full blown Minoru Suzuki match, including lot, lots of hard hitting, kicking, uh, dropping, people being dropped on their head. Uh, it was just violent, brutal, fun match. I know that might sound weird, but if you're a fan of Minoru Suzuki, that's what you're there to see. You're there to see hard chops, snarling, meanness, hate. It's a very cathartic experience. But um, part of that involved their match, their fight spilling out into the ring. And when you see this on TV, the wrestlers will spout in the ring and then one will like throw another one towards the crowd and will oftentimes gesture for the crowd in that area to move out of the way. You know, and then the crowd moves out of the way and then they fight directly in front of them and there's usually like a bouncer or something uh, trying to keep everyone back while the two wrestlers fight right there in the middle of the crowd. Well, I'm sitting there and I see them come out of the ring. I think, whatever. Then all of a sudden I was like, oh, they're getting closer. They're getting closer. They're getting closer. And I realized Minoru Suzuki is like half a foot away from me doing the thing with his arm telling me and Jerry to get the F out of the way. And he proceeded to, we did get out of the way. And then he proceeded to beat up Daniel Garcia right in front of the folding table that we were standing in front of with my jacket uh, folded right there over the folding table hanging there. 
And then they proceeded to brawl and I was standing right there and I was able to film the entire thing while watching it, of course. You gotta be in the moment, must be in the moment. So, you know, I, I had the camera filming, but I wasn't, I was actually watching it with my real eyes. So it was the best of both worlds. Organic and cybernetic, one in the same cybernetic individual, as we all should be, I think, in the year 2021. But anyway, yeah, I could see the sweat pouring off of their bodies. I could see Monroe's Suzuki's face right up close. There's no way, unless I just got really lucky and went to some New Japan or AEW show, but I've been to New Japan shows and it would still, it would be very hard unless you were extremely lucky and had extremely expensive tickets to get that close to someone that I hold in that high regard as a performer, as a legend. So it was pretty special. It was a very special moment. It was not one I was expecting. And it was the capper of a very surreal night with, again, returning to um, a group activity, a crowd activity. I wore a mask the entire time, and I didn't even realize I was wearing a mask the entire time. So I really don't understand the reticence about masks. I mean, God only knows if they help or not. I mean, I have to assume they must because everyone around here pretty much is back to doing group activities and our, our case rates are not particularly high or anything. And they, they really, for as much as you might hear on the news for all oh, these other crazy mandates, oh, da, 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 the biggest thing is you're supposed to wear a mask when you go indoors places here. And most places do it. Some don't. Um, it took nothing away from my enjoyment of that evening wearing a mask. So I do not understand what all the hubbub is about. It's the least most insignificant thing you can do that might be helpful. But I also realized from going to that thing that I, I really don't fear COVID. I, I, I don't know. I know some people that are, I'm not a COVID denier. I know people that are just, oh, it's not real. Oh, I'm not getting the vaccine. I know people that are like, oh, oh you're going to drop dead if you go outside. How dare you go into a crowd? I'm just kind of like, you know, yeah, there's this gnarly disease that exists. Thank God, due to the miracle of modern medicine, I have a vaccine that seems to be relatively effective at, at getting a, a serious case of it. And I'm cool with doing minor mitigation stuff if asked to. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It was weird to be back. It was, I, I'd had a lot of dreams about being in uh crowded events and this was almost being like in a dream because it was in this weird surreal looking banquet hall seeing a super famous guy that I've looked up to for years right in front of my face beating up another human being um it was weird it was fun I will say the one thing about these indie shows in seeing those kind of sites it's like a double-edged sword for me not, not so much seeing the match up close because that was just awesome but seeing how the sausage is made seeing the guy show up late seeing the guy being reunited with his family, having all that like star power, all that mystique sucked out of these characters. On one hand, it's cool and it's fun because you get to see stuff you wouldn't think you'd normally get to see. On the other hand, like I say, it's a real mystique sucker. So I I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the trade is worth it because mystique is pretty much gone from this world with the advent of the internet and all that stuff. There's no, the, the whole reason I grew to love Minoru Suzuki, for instance, when I was young was because of his mystique, because he seemed like he really was this mean, nasty, creepy, seedy, pancrase fighter from the back alleys of Tokyo. Um, now we know he's just a nice guy who will sign your autograph and blah, 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 and it's, it's all an act. And I, we knew it was an all an act back in the day, but every year, another layer of that onion gets away to where, again, there's no, like I said about these indie shows, there's no barrier, there's no breakdown between star and performer. And I know some people really like that because oh, it should be egalitarian and everyone should be the same. But at the same time, I just wonder, you know, it's, it seems like out there in the world, out there in popular culture, it's very hard in this day and age for new stars to be created. Like when I see teenage kids, I've talked about this on the show before, the bands that they're all into are bands that were big when I was a teenager. Um, in wrestling, it's like the older guys that are still the stars. It's very hard 
seemingly to create new stars. Um, in MMA, it's hard to create new stars. And part of that, I think, is because of the loss of mystique in the world, because how can there be stars when they're, when you, you the consumer, are the star? You, the fan, are the star? And uh, I guess there's a part of me that just misses the day of just unabashedly just being in awe of these stars that were so different from us, so removed from us. And not having to just always have to think of them as real people. That's the other thing now, too. Every celebrity, that's your friend. That's your best friend. You want them to be a good person. I don't really, you know, I'm not there for their personal life. I'm there to watch the monkey dance. I'm sorry if that sounds weird. <laughs> that's the long and short of it. And dance Minoru Suzuki did. So at the end of the day, what what does it matter? I had a great time. Um, but I've also had my uh, going out to events satiated for probably the next year. I'm cool to just sit at home and watch stuff on my TV or maybe go down to the old cigar bar. Folks, this went long, but I, you know, part of it is just because it took me so long to get here, but get here I did. So I guess the show's back. We're back on track. We will be back next week with very special episode 58. I've got a new segment cooked up, folks. We're going to be taking a look at um, line by line, the original Masters of the Universe figures. I was inspired by ICU Robot's recent talk about Faker, but we're going to go line by line, generation by generation, and we're going to do a little thing where I'm going to talk about A, whether I had the character or not, or at least had access to it, like a friend had it, or if it was one that I never encountered in life, and B, any attendant stories around that figure. I don't know if this will be a one-shot thing or if it'll be a segment that persists for a while because I, I got to sit down. I got to look at the list. I got to see how much content there is. But that's definitely something we're going to be talking about next week. I'm glad you were here this week. Thank you for bearing with me. We'll be back next time. Until then, it's me, it's me, it's Mr. Sensational Gino V. Thank God I did it. Episode 57, Mom, look at me. I'm an achiever. All right, I'll talk to you next time. Sensational Gino Vega, signing off. <laughs>